Welcome to the Vets First podcast, a research-based conversation centered around the VA healthcare system, its services, and patients. From Iowa City, Iowa, here's your hosts, Dr. Levi Sowers and Brandon Ray. Welcome back to the Vets First podcast. Today, we're lucky to have Dr. Gromlich. Um, he is a German-born research health science specialist here at the Iowa City VA Healthcare Center. And a research assistant professor at the University of Iowa, as well as a research assistant professor in the neuroscience and pharmacology program. Welcome to the Vets First podcast, Oliver. Yeah, thank you very much um, for the introduction. Happy to be here and happy to chat uh, about uh, some eye-related research. First and foremost, Oliver, um, you're German-born. How? Where did you grow up and how did you make it to where you're at right now? Well, this is a this is a great question. So yeah, let's start let's start back in Germany. So I I, I was raised and grew up in in, in Germany uh, in the in the in the Frankfurt area, um, in the former uh, western part of, of, of Germany, and um, I went to uh, grad school uh, school at the University of Mainz, where I studied biology as well as as um, ophthalmology, so eye diseases and earned my PhD there. And then I was uh, recruited to the University of Iowa uh, to work here as a, as a research scientist um, in the Department of Ophthalmology, basically focusing uh, on, on glaucoma, so and glaucoma-related uh, vision loss. And from there on, since uh, glaucoma has a lot to do with the optic nerve, um, I also am interested in, in other uh, diseases that cause vision loss because the optic nerve uh, gets injured, for example, like multiple sclerosis, optic neuritis, or autoimmune mediated disorders, as well as uh, traumatic disorders, like, for example, uh, traumatic blast injury, which has also a huge impact on, on optic nerve function and vision. So um, I know you personally because we work in the same uh, center, the Center for, Preven for the Further Prevention and Treatment of Visual Loss. And so I know a little bit more about you, so I'm going to pry a little bit more back in your background. So I believe that you did some military service in Germany, yeah? Yeah, at the time, um, we need to do service, that's, that's correct, and I choose to, to uh, serve as a paramedic um, for, for two years uh, during my regular service time. And then I, I stick to it for, for another 10 years uh, uh, of doing night shifts in the, in the, in the EMS um, while um, going to the university um, during the day. So it was a very, very tough, but interesting time. <laughs> so uh, when, when did you, what years did you serve? From 98 till 2008, probably uh, full service and then uh, voluntary service till 2014 when I came to, to Iowa. Nice. So, so uh, it's a little bit different in Germany. Uh, you have to serve for two years. Is that correct? Yeah, that was kind of the transition. So between 13 months and two years was the regular uh, uh, time frame here. Um, and you could you have the choice to to serve either in the in the in the, in the educational sector in the military uh, firefighter um, or or paramedic so and I I chose uh, I choose the, um, the paramedic the paramedic service very nice um, and then so why did you end up choosing to come to Iowa of all places 
Well, that was uh, after I finished my, my PhD um, and a researcher here uh, at Iowa, which I, which I met in, in 2008, uh, Dr. Marcus Kuhn, um, he and, and I, we worked on the, on the same stuff during that time. And, and we met at, at uh, several conferences, talked about science, talked about the next cool experiment to do. And then finally he invited me uh, um, as I was looking for, for new challenges and new opportunities um, if I wanted to, to come and join his lab, um, which I did. And I'm glad that I did it because that was, that was for me research-wise uh, a, a huge step forward uh, so many opportunities um, with, with, with good ideas that we had um, and it was an amazing time. And, and he also helped me significantly to, to my way um, forward to independence and, and launch my own, my own research project, which is of course slightly different from, from his. Um, but we are all uh, looking at the same problem that is, is um, vision loss to uh, various different uh, uh, for various different reasons, yeah. So Oliver, what drew you to vision research and uh, working with the VA? Um, yeah, the, the, the VA Center uh, pretty much offered, offered a platform for me to, to um, develop a kind of independent research path. So uh, with, with, for example, sponsoring um, um, pilot, pilot projects that all uh, uh, is in align with the mission of our center, which is prevention and treatment of, of, of vision loss. And I was heavily focused, or I'm still heavily focused on neuro-ophthalmology. Yeah, so uh, the, pretty much the, uh, the link between neuroscience, vision, and vision loss. And that was something that was uh, uh, underrepresented here, uh, at least from, from the research or the preclinical side. So uh, it was a it was a, a need here um, to to go into that research, and I was the right person to do it. Um, and I think this this was an amazing co collaboration from the beginning on. Yeah, and it was very fruitful. Uh, we received a, a grant funding here from the VA to to really dive deep into into that problem. Um, and so I would say it was it was an opportunity, and I grew with that opportunity and I'm super happy to, to be here and work, work with the VA. Oh, very nice. You know, one thing I want to point out is that you've got an awesome accent and you probably have one of the best accents on the podcast so far. Yeah. So, so the so. best for the best foreign accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, we only, we only have our mid Midwestern accents to work with. So <laughs> but it makes you sound very uh, distinguished. I, I try my best. <laughs> that's awesome so uh yeah you know getting back on topic here the it, it, what what is the importance to you of research so you do preclinical research meaning that you work in mice um and, and and maybe rats i'm not exactly sure but you know i think that what would you tell a veteran that asks you why work in mice when vision loss is a human problem? Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a super great question. Um, research starts at, at, at one point, and that is, that is preclinical uh, uh, research. Um, so first, so my, my lab is focusing on two different, different things. The first thing is uh, we need model systems um, that could be mice uh, or, or rats, that could be uh, organs, that could be organ donor cells, that could be cells. 
Um, it could be a whole variety, but one major uh, focus is to investigate or to decipher the pathobiology of certain eye diseases. And if you know how those eye diseases work in a dish or in a mouse or in a rat, uh, the next big step is, in, which is, in my opinion, much more important, is how can we translate that knowledge to the human disease, yeah, to human eye diseases, in order to find new treatments? And that's the ultimate goal. So my research is highly, highly transla translatable between what we see uh, in the ophthalmology clinic or what an eye doctor sees. And what I do uh, here in the lab is pretty much to simulate those conditions in um, in the dish or or an animal, so that we can actually understand what's going on and find the right um, point where we can leverage new treatments. Yeah, I think that's that's the big difficulty as a translational neuroscientist, um, which you I would qualify you as and and me as and Brandon as. You know, I think it's important for us and it's critical for us actually to be able to say, why is this important to human health? And, you know, you, you, you hit the, the nail on the head. I think that, that when you look at translational science, we take model organisms such as mice um, and, and other models such as cultured cells, and we can do things to them that we can't do to humans. We can, you know, um, you know test certain drugs in a preclinical setting that ultimately ends up in a human. I think that's really the critical step that I think some people miss sometimes uh, when we talk about our research and uh, it's, 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 you know, important for us to be able to communicate that in a way that people can understand, right? That's absolutely correct. Um, um, that's exactly to, to the point. First, of course, we want to see if, for example, a new treatment is effective in glaucoma to save vision or to restore vision, or if a new compound is effective on on mitigating optic neuritis vision loss or, 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 or traumatic blast injury loss and, and restoring vision is probably uh, the ultimate goal, yes. And we want to do this first in, in a dish or in an, in an animal, see if it works, how it works, if, it's, if it is safe, that's a huge thing. Um, before we move, we move into, into clinical practice and, and actually uh, test this in, in in, in people. So Oliver, with so vision problems that people or veterans have experienced, like you, you, you have the eye, you have the optic nerve. Between like the eye, the uh, the cornea, the optic nerve. What made you want to focus on the optic nerve itself? I mean, well, the the optic nerve is is really the, in my opinion, the most important part of uh, of the eye and the and the vision process. And if you would ask uh, an eye doctor, the eye doctor would say, "Hey, yeah, um, the brain is an attachment to the eye." <laughs> if you ask a neuroscientist, the neuroscientist would say, uh, uh, "The eye is just um, an attachment of the brain." But hold on, why did you give us that? Uh... <laughs> if you if you, if you look at it, Think about the eye or the retina is the only uh, nerve plexus, the only uh, uh, neurons that you can see from the outside. Yeah. So if you look into the eye, you, you can actually see neurons here. And and I think the most important thing is the optic nerve because it it wouldn't work without the optic nerve to get an image from the retina to to the brain. Yeah. And you can have a fully functional brain, a fully functional retina, 
is the cable so the optic nerve doesn't work. Yeah, I get that. Have a fuzzy image. That is why that is why I'm I'm particularly interested in in, in, in optic nerve. So, uh, I mean, I, I would joke that uh, my brain is beholden to my stomach in order to get fed. So, and uh, having that type <laughs> of connection is <laughs> is pretty good. So, uh, the the optic nerve when we're talking about vision, it you know you receive visual input through your retina and the retina sends it through your optic nerve to your brain, right? And that, so that's like the main, you called it the main cable, which is really what it is. It, it, it sends all the information to the back of our brain or, or wherever in our brain. Um, these pathways are well known. We don't need to go over them, but um, it, it's what carries the signal to our brain so we can see things, right? That's, that, that's absolutely correct. And it's like, like old school television. If your cable from the antenna is, is broken, you don't have a good image. Mm -hmm. So, so these, this optic nerve, um, I'm a little naive to it actually. So the retina is a layer of cells. Um, some of them detect light. Um, some of them do other things, but is it the, is it the projections from the retina that form the optic nerve or is the optic nerve a different set of cells? Um, the optic nerve. Is, is, is a unique a unique structure. And um, you started at the right point. So we have cells in the, in the retina that detect light and can uh, uh, trans, uh, transform light into an electrical uh, uh, current, if you, if you, if you would, would describe it as, as that. And then that electric current or that signal gets uh, transmitted to another cell in the retina processed and then transmitted the processed signal to the retinal ganglion cell. Retinal ganglion cells, they, they live in the retina, and these are the cells that form um, an axon, and that axon actually uh, exits the eye and forms the axon of the optic nerve. So, and then it, it runs all the way through um, the optic nerve to the chiasm where, they, where, they, where the fibers uh, partially cross, and then into the brain. So the whole retinal ganglion cell um, has its origin in the retina and spreads into the, into the brain forming the optic nerve. And it's a, it's a very long, it's a big cell. So the soma lives in the retina while the axon lives in the, in the pretty much in the central nervous system. Um, and that makes it unique. And the main function of the ganglion cell is, as you pointed out, transmit the signal from the retina to um, the brain. So do you've chosen to study this, this cable, if you will, the optic nerve, um, does it get damaged in multiple types of disease? And you've mentioned three already, glaucoma, optic neuritis, and traumatic brain injury induced damage to it. So is it, is it similar? Are the mechanisms or, or are there commonalities between these different types of eye diseases and retinal um, or, or, or optic nerve damage? Um, yeah, yes and no. So what all those, um, those diseases have in common, they are visioning threatened disease. That's clear. Yeah. And for, for various, various reasons. Let's start with, with glaucoma. Um, so this is, a, this is a disease, the second uh, leading cause of blindness in the world. Um, and this is particular due to the loss of those retinal ganglion cells that form the, um, the optic nerves. And you probably have heard that elevated intraocular pressure, so where the pressure is higher in, in your eye than it should be, is one of the main risk factors to develop glaucoma that those cells die. Um, it is not 
it is not the main reason. Um, glaucoma has a multifactorial pathology with all kinds of different things. Uh, and we do not really know or pinpoint, hey, this is the main driver of the disease. It's a, it's a, it's a collection of certain factors that come together. So this is why, why we need preclinical research because we do not exactly know. We have a clue um, or multiple clues, but we cannot pinpoint to, to the, to the uh, uh, dominant mechanism, if you, if, you, if you will call it like this. With, with optic neuritis, um, same thing happens. So this is, this is a problem of the, of the optic nerve, while glaucoma is more a problem of, of the retina and the eye. In optic neuritis, we have an inflammation um, to the optic nerve, for example, in multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disease where you have T cells that attack um, the, the myelin sheath of, of those optic nerve axons. The myelin sheath is um, the, 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 if you will, so the, the, the electrical insulation. And if you damage those, uh, then the axon will die and subsequently will the retinal ganglion cell die. So in this, with, with regards to this disease, we have a pretty good idea what's going on yeah, uh, uh, with the pathobiology but we do not have a lot against it to reverse it, to halt it, um, uh, and, and to repair the damaged uh, myelin sheath in that. So there are two main aspects here. One is we need to, we need to protect the retinal ganglion cell in the retin retina through yeah. neuroprotection, and we need to protect the optic nerve from getting um, um, demyelinated or, 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 or damaged through, uh, through inflammation. So, so yeah. Uh, there are differences, but also common mechanisms. Gotcha. So with glaucoma, um, you said one of the biggest risk factors is intraocular pressure, or how much pressure there is in the eye, and you'll have retinal cell death. Is Are there multiple forms of glaucoma? Um, um, is glaucoma, um, is all glaucoma the same, I guess, is what I'm asking. Not really, since it is a, a multifactorial disease, you have um, different forms of, of glaucoma. The most common form is primary open angle glaucoma, and that mm -hmm. is the form that we uh, particular uh, investigate here with, with our veterans or here at, at, at the, at, in our research uh, mission here with the VA. Then there are other forms, which is called normal, normal tension glaucoma. So you have all the vision loss, um, and, and characteristics that you can see while looking to the retina, but not with the risk factor of an intraocular uh, pressure elevation. And that's the interesting thing. Um, those are the two main forms. Then we have uh, uh, glaucomas that develop during time, for example, because of trauma, uh, where you have um, um, certain conditions happen to the eye that, qualify, that, qualify, uh, that qualifies to, to be uh, called glaucoma. We have some uh, congenital glaucomas that is not uh, my focus on, uh, of interest because they are mostly uh, genetic factors. Um, I'm more focused to the age-related uh, glaucoma as a, as, a, as a kind of a broad um, umbrella. So, with, so we have all, all these different causes of glaucoma or uh, uh, diseases or damage that can happen to the optic nerve. Are there any, what excites you most about on the horizon with like treatments or a uh, path forward for remedying uh, some of these issues? I mean, this is, this is, this is great. If you, if you have a list of compounds 
and some of them some of the compounds are really strange and you don't know really oh, if this works or not um, but then if you if you start um, investigating the effects of, of of certain compounds and then you see hey look at that animal it had a glaucoma damage uh, prior to that it had vision loss or look at that animal hey that had multiple sclerosis vision loss and you apply the compound and they start uh, uh, recovering with vision that is one of the yes that's the payback and and if it if it actually works and i mean you you know this this is this is rare those effects are rare most of the time I don't, I think more than 90% of those compounds that you have in mind, they fail. Mm -hmm. And 10% that you, that you get lucky with, these are the ones that you need to, to push forward, try hard. And, and out of those 10%, there's maybe 1% that actually uh, will go forward to, to clinical application. So, but if you, if you have that, if you are the person who, who found that one, <laughs> That's an amazing feeling. Yeah. Sure, so what, what specifically do you focus on in your research? So um, Oliver, within the last couple of years, was a major player in a, a, a four-year award from the VA. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and what, what your focus is? So, um, yes, yeah, sure. So, yeah, that was, that was great, great uh, um, with, with, with the award that we got. We pretty much look at, at two different things. The first thing is, to see if um, biomarkers of the visual system, like for example, visual acuity or, or degeneration of the retina that you can uh, uh, investigate with, a, with an imaging device. Um, so pretty much uh, uh, readouts that you have in the clinic to translate those readouts back to an animal model then have the animal model and different treatments to see if we can measure treatment success with those readouts and then translate this forward back to the clinic to see, hey, we do have the same readouts. This works in the animal model, this particular compound. Now we can move forward. This is, this is the ground in a, in a, in a nutshell. And um, with, with new compounds or new treatment strategies, one thing that we wanted to investigate is if we can um, enhance recovery in, in, in multiple sclerosis related optic neuritis through the uh, combination of currently used drugs and for example, specific diet. Yeah? So if a specific diet, change in lifestyle, change in what you eat, um, combined with, with immunomodulatory drugs actually increases quality of vision and therefore quality of life. So what kind of diet changes did you make? I mean, I'll admit immediately when you said that, I thought of the old, uh, the old saying where carrots are good for your eyes, eat a bunch of carrots. <laughs> yes, but ha have you ever seen a rabbit with glasses? Ah, uh, true, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, yes, um, so... The, the, the diets that we have uh, that we can currently focusing are is, is, is a Mediterranean diet. Um, of course, um, the other thing that we that we look at is um, a, a, a high fat based diet because those two things uh, do particular uh, uh, go particular routes with your with your metabolism. 
And depending on your condition, one metabolism pathway is better than the other when it comes to repair of the myelin sheath. And we want to see if there are differences um, between one or another diet. The next thing is um, intermittent fasting is, is very interesting um, because the, the body needs to um, switch between different uh, fuels. And the switch between the different fuels um, actually is, is, is um, neuroprotective and, and anti-inflammatory. And all those, those two things uh, significantly contribute to a recovery of the visual system. What are the readouts you use in animals to study these diet-based changes in these disease settings? So the, the two um, main readouts that we have is, is uh, as I said, copied and paste from, from clinical practice. Uh -huh. and we use a device that is called optical coherence uh, tomograph. Um, and what that thing does is if you go to the eye doctor and the eye doctor says, hey, can you please look into this white uh, camera here? Um, we probably all experienced that. But what's on the other side is that the camera focuses on the retina and can uh, uh, do a three-dimensional reconstruction of the retinal layers. And what we can do with that is we can determine if, for example, the layer in the retina where the ganglion cells live, so those cells that form the optic nerve, gets thinner. And this is an indicator of, of, of disease progression, if you, if you will. And if the, if the retinal ganglion cell uh, layer gets thinner, um, is an indicator on how well the visual system overall is um, with respect to that particular um, diseases that I mentioned. And if the slope of thinning over time is, is faster or, or slower, so you can uh, uh, estimate progression. And the same thing, uh, we can do the same thing in, in mice. Same technique, of course, um, slightly altered setup, but we can actually exactly measure that over time. Um, and see if, for example, a treatment halts thinning um, or, or that thinning never happens. That would be the ultimate goal. Uh, but there will be no regrowth of ganglion cells, unfortunately. So we need to protect what's there. That's the, mm -hmm. uh, um, that's the first um, big or major, major outcome parameter. The second one is visual acuity. Yeah. Um, so, for example, you sit there and the doctor says, hey, can you please read the, the Snellen chart, line three uh, over there? Uh, yes, of course, it's, uh, it's uh, MLKYY250. I mean, you can't do that with a mouse. Yeah, The mouse yeah. Yeah, <laughs> push the button and say, yeah, I, I can see that. Just for fun, um, you could ask a mouse. <laughs> I think, you know, mouse. we have the same, this, this brings up a really good point. I think we have the same thing in migraine is, you can't tell if a mouse has a migraine, right? right. Um, the only thing we can do is get close to what migraine presents as in humans and use them as models. And I think that's a really important point to make. And I, I feel like that's what you're doing here in this case. That's correct. So we, have, we, found a, we found a way to measure visual acuity in a mouse without the mouse having to push a button. It's a, it's a reflex. And and the mouse can either see it or, or it can't see it. And it is based on, on illumination and how good the objective is that they have to look at. Um, and this relates one-to-one uh, -to, -one to, to, the, to the clinic. So of course we wanna see if, if a drug 
we first want to see when we make the animal sick that visual acuity drops. Then we apply the drop and visual acuity comes back up. That would be the ultimate goal. And then we know, okay, it works on, on, on a functional level. While OCT or optical coherence tomography is a, is a structural readout, um, visual acuity is a functional readout. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a most basic sense in research, there's really, you know, uh, to oversimplify it, there's, there's, there's a, a readout in terms of, I'm not sure how to put it, you know, you, you have a, a biological readout and then you have like a functional readout, if you will. Um, can you maybe discuss like what the difference between those two are and why one would maybe be more important or not more important for translational purposes? That's a really tough question. And I think something that I think is difficult to understand even for some scientists. Yeah, it's absolutely, you are absolutely correct. That's what, what we are talking about right now. That's the theory in a, in a, in a, perfect, in a perfect world. Yeah, you would see uh, uh, an, an, a structural improvement and this, this should correlate with a, with a functional improvement. Unfortunately, it's, it's not the case. Sometimes you see a functional improvement, but no structural improvement. But this is absolutely fine. Yeah? If, if we can increase function and preserve the structure, that's the goal. Yeah, that's, that's really the goal. Um, as I said earlier, there is no way at the moment uh, to bring back lost ganglion cells. Mm -hmm. But we need to work with what, what we have. And, and you, cannot, you cannot gain uh, a structural improvement so much, but you can gain functional improvement. And so this is why we have different techniques to address both to determine treatment success. If you then go into the into the optic nerve, the optic nerve is a thing that we cannot image that easily from the outside. And actually, there we can focus on a structural um, recovery because um, of of let's uh, to repair the myelin sheath, so the damaged coding of the axons um, of the nerve fibers. Um, that is something we can assess. Unfortunately, only post mortem or or in the dish. Yeah, and not so much in, 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 in a living organism at the moment. We are working on that to get those techniques ex as well. And this is another point why it is so important to look at the structures post-mortem and then correlate what we see with the functional readouts. Yeah, it's really fantastic. You know, I, uh, another big question I have in vision research is like how when you have retinal loss, and this is something that I've thought about a lot in, in all of our meetings that we have together when you guys present your research, is, you know, when you get retinal ganglion loss and, and smaller, obviously we need retinal ganglion cells to, to see, right? They're fundamental. Like how much is the, the, the endpoint of those cells affected when you have cell loss? So does, does, is the visual cortex, which is, I think, the, the end point here, is that affected by the loss of the cells? Um, could, could it be a target of future treatments as well? I, I'm just curious. I mean, the, 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 crosstalk, the crosstalk between the brain and the eye is, is, is not a one-way uh, street, yeah. So, um, of course, the visual information gets sent to the brain. 
Um, but on the other hand, we need a lot of stuff in the retina so that the retina is healthy. And most of the stuff comes from um, the brain and gets, uh, gets transported via the optic nerve to the retina and vice versa. There are some, some, some stuff that needs to, that the retina needs to get rid of, um, which then uh, gets tra transported the other way. And those interruptions um, uh, in transport, and that could, that these are all factors that are neuroprotective so that the retina really works as, as, as it should be in particularly the retinal ganglion cells. So if there's a problem in, 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 in the brain, uh, in the visual tract, you would see it in the retina. Interesting, okay. And vice versa, if, 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 if the retina doesn't work properly, you will see uh, effects uh, uh, in the brain on in, in the visual cortex, for example. And if, for example, and you, I make I make this broad, but you probably know this, if people that are blind or that are getting blind, so the the whole pathway in the brain uh, degenerates over time because it's not used. So both both uh, systems, the brain and the retina. And the connection, which is the optic between the two, which is the optic nerve, those those three things need to need to function. Oliver, mm -hmm. this has been a great interview. Um, thanks. So, a couple last questions. Uh, what do you do for fun? <laughs> Riding motor. You just live, or do you just live in science land all the time? Well, from from time to time, I need I need my air my air therapy. Um, this is how. <laughs> That I'm done with, with with work and looking at mice and rats and ganglion cells in the dish. I love to to get out uh, um, on the motorcycle and 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 ride um, uh, the highways and the, and the country roads. Um, that's one thing that I really enjoy. Of course, you cannot do it in the Iowa winter. No, no. Oh, I'd be oh. a little uh, adventurous <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in the winter time, it's more or less related to 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 winter sports. So if I get a chance to get out for skiing, that is what I really, really enjoy. And you came to the wrong place for skiing. <laughs> I, I mean, it's <laughs> real, it's real easy skiing here. Well, cross country skiing. Is good. Yeah. It's, better, it's better than nothing, but yeah. Have you been watching the Winter Olympics? Yeah, sure. That was kind of interesting. Uh, the, the biathlon where you do cross country skiing and, and shooting. Oh, shoot, yeah. Pretty Very cool. cool. Also, the Germans have been crushing uh, all the sledding events, bobsled, yeah. skeleton, etc. I mean, this is crazy. Think about it. You you jump onto that little metal thing and go downhill in what is it? A 140 miles an hour. It's can... it's, it's really it's really fast. Uh, it's scary, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just hold on for dear life. And my last my last question: uh, What's your favorite movie? Oh, that's a tough question. This is the toughest question you've answered all day. <laughs> yeah. What's my What's my favorite movie? You've already thought about it too long. Yeah, I thought it. I thought about it too 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 long. So at the moment, I don't really have time to watch a whole lot of movies. That's fair. Yeah, I don't watch many movies either anymore. That's okay. Well, hey, that's okay. You don't have to answer. And also, um, thanks a lot for coming on the Best First Podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, I, I think you've really informed us well about what you study and, and, and why you study it. So, uh, awesome. Thank I, you. I have to thank you too for, for the invitation. And I, I hope, uh, 
even with my strange accent that I that I, I was able to to explain everything correctly. Thank you very much. This concludes today's Vets First podcast. For questions or comments relating to the program, please direct email correspondence to vetsfirstpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.